Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail, and I'm also the host of this podcast. This week, I'm really excited. We have Mags Kala, who is a consumer investor, but at the cutting edge of a lot of different brands over the last few years. She's also really interested in something that I've been trying to dip my toes in, uh, which is Web3, and so I'm hoping to dive into just all those things that are on her mind. But Mags, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So pumped to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped for you to be here too. Um, first, for those who don't know, I think that you've had, you have a really interesting sort of background as a consumer investor. So why don't you just walk me through sort of how you got started investing, what you were doing before? What's your what's your story? Um, all I really have known is investing. I uh, I joined Bank Capital straight from um, college and um, got kind of the, the boot camp of investing through that experience, working with some of the smartest consumer investors in the world, learned a lot, loved working with my portfolio companies. It's a, it's a very traditional approach to investing, right? Um, deep diligence and then deep involvement with the companies to help them grow and, and succeed. Um, so I, I kind of had the amazing experience doing that across categories. Uh, work with a black beauty brand called Shea Moisture. And then I was actually full time at one of my portfolio companies, Virgin Voyages, uh, when we were launching the, the brand new cruise line in partnership with Bank Capital and Richard Branson. So been an amazing experience. And then over time, I think I realized that all of the most interesting consumer innovation actually happens much earlier stage and it happens at the intersection of multiple industries and sectors. Um, so I decided to leave Bank Capital to pursue that. And been very fortunate to join Steve Paluka's family office to kind of drive the venture strategy there with particular attention to consumer and crypto. Got it. Interesting. So was there a sort of moment when you were like, what made you realize that you wanted to be early stage? Um, I think it was actually working with Shea Marsher. It was a particularly early brand for what, where Bank Capital usually invests and being able to wor- work with Rich Dennis, the founder, and kind of his team and then seeing the how much value I can add to uh, earlier stage companies versus, you know, more professionalized, late stage uh, professional management team companies and then being able to see that growth journey and, and, and kind of the total potential. Uh, it was really exciting. Like uh, it is one of those things where I think once you see it um, earlier stage like that, it was really hard for me to go back to, to more traditional companies. Yeah, out of curiosity, is it was it common at Bain for someone to leave and work full time at at a company that you were investing in, or sort of how did that come about? Uh, not common at all. I'm a I'm a I'm a queen of precedence. So uh, <laughs> <it just. laughs> I've always had some level of insecurity about being a career investor and not having much operating experience. Um, so when I left for Virgin Voyages for for a bit. Um, it was kind of a perfect situation. It was a company I've known since 2014 when we first invested, uh, and, uh, known the team, known all the challenges, been, um, the board observer, uh, and then kind of knew how high stake it was ahead of the launch. We've been working on this for so long. The team has been working on this for so long. And I knew I could add value across a, a number of things with partnerships and influencer strategy and consumer insights, um, general kind of go to market strategy. Uh, and, and so I kind of sold it to both parties with, uh, you know, this is a, a relatively short term, but high value add. Uh, idea and and they let me do it. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it seems like 
that that really does sort of you're, you're joining a team, you know, a, a company that's, you know, definitely more been around, but also you're getting your own sort of entrepreneurial experience by doing that, which I imagine was very helpful for you just from a perspective. Absolutely. Um, so can you just walk me through, like when you decided to go out on your own, what did you think your process was going to be when you were like, all right, I'm going to be doing more independent investing? Well, so I don't initially didn't actually plan on doing more independent investing. I left Bank Capital with uh, intention to kind of take it back to very first principles approach to career and try to figure out what I want to do and, and why. Um, so very broad search. I talked to a lot of startups. I talked to, talk to a lot of firms uh, and, and kind of try to figure out what is my ne- next step in, in kind of my career and my consumer journey. Uh, and I realized that kind of what I wanted to do and what my interests were was a pretty, um, pretty unique kind of at this intersection, especially, uh, a year ago, uh, which doesn't feel like such a long time, but, but in crypto terms, it feels like, <laughs> a, a, you know, a decade. Uh, at that time, not a lot of people were thinking about the intersection of, um, of crypto and culture and consumer behavior and brand building. Uh, and that was really interesting to me. Um, so, so kind of having conversations with people and realizing that I'm not generally a person that does well with kind of, uh, overt structure and hierarchy. Uh, it made sense to, to join the, the family office and have the kind of the freedom to invest in, in what I find most interesting. Interesting. And so did you know when you were leaving that you were going to be focusing on crypto? Um, I knew I was going to go down the what's the next, what's truly next for consumer um, economy. Uh, I didn't expect it to be as Web3 as it ended up being, but I always say that I invest in how and why people spend their time, money and attention. And the more I went down the, the Web3 rabbit hole of um, what does that really mean for how people will spend time, money, and attention, and why is it better than traditional ventures, like there was no going back. It, it was very clear to me it's not just like a flavor of the moment. It is a very fundamental shift, and, and I believe in that shift. And, and so I've shifted my attention alongside it. So what, so what was your aha moment? Like, what was it you were... How did you go about doing that sort of diligence and figuring out what the next, you know, technological framework was going to be? I think on, on this point, it's, it's uh, you know, I can I can pretend to be uh, very smart, but so much of it is just luck and talking to incredibly smart people working on incredibly interesting ideas and then seeing the kind of the talent shift and then attention shift that builders were having. Um, and then thinking through so that, that on one side and on the other side, thinking through kind of this, again, first principles of like why things happen the way they happen and what are sources of competitive advantage and and kind of sources of consumer attention. And I think in Web3, if you kind of strip it all out and just compare, you know, holding everything else constant, of, co- of course, brands that are rewarding their, their users are going to outperform the brands that are not. And of course, gaming, uh, gaming companies that give um, their players more freedom around um, ability to make money or just freedom to move their digital assets as they please are going to outperform those that kind of keep it in the closed loop. And so as I look across every single category, music, sports, gaming, brands, uh, it was pretty clear to me that if we solve some of the bigger kind of infrastructural problems, um, then that holding everything else constant um, uh, approach 
tells me that the Web3 versions are going to be outperforming the, the kind of the Web2 equivalents, if you will. Was there an application or a brand or a person sort of early on that made like that encapsulated this for you that you're like, oh, that's what explained this is what, what opened my eyes to what I believe is going to happen? It's, it's going to be a, a funny answer in many ways, but really joining the, the board ape NFT um, craze was very eye opening for me uh, in, in many, in many um, different ways and very non-traditional ways, but just seeing the power of um, building a brand from scratch that's so dependent on its core membership uh, in, in kind of promoting it, and but then making it open so that derivative projects can also benefit from that. And I know it's, it's a very uh, buzzwordy answer, but uh, I think that was just such an eye-opener of uh, essentially a consumer startup that's you know, it's less than a year old uh, and has been able to capture such a kind of cultural moment and um, so many interesting people building kind of around the, the, the Bordeaux ecosystem is, is fascinating to me just from a pure speed to speed to impact and speed to awareness. For those who don't know, can you just give a brief expl- explanation of Board Ape? Uh, I know Board Ape through actually through you because I follow you on Twitter and uh, and through you know a bunch of other people I follow on Twitter. But how if you're describing it to someone who isn't quite up to speed on how all that works, how would you describe that? Um, so it's a, a, a NFT collection of um, ten thousand. Pictures of apes, essentially, uh, with different levels of different characteristics and different levels of rarity. Uh, and there are many collectible projects uh, similar to that. And I think, um, if we're being honest, that there, no one quite cracked why that one was more successful than the others. But the reality is that bored apes kind of captured, um, the attention and the minds of many people who either resonated with the art, resonated with it being um, kind of open IP rights, um, and resonated with the early people who were believers in the project. Uh, and collectively, that's become this uh, this uh, almost digital club, if you will, when people buy the NFTs and use them as their profile pictures. And there are plenty of in-person events and, and other um, activities that kind of happen around the community, some organized by the founders of Board Ape Yacht Club and, and some completely community-driven. Uh, and it's just been a fascinating experience kind of on both sides. Um, even now when I've moved, just moved to Miami and having a, a Miami-based Board Apes group as a, as a source of uh, information and, and stuff I need, it has been an uh, amazing experience. So what made you think what makes you think Bored Apes has long-lasting legs and isn't just sort of, uh, you know, it remind like I feel like there are a lot of things that that come and go. I, I remember like the, I don't think Bored Apes is like this, but I'm reminded of like five or four years ago when the Yo app came out and it was sort of this like big ethereal mo- like thing that was like sort of funny and ha- and served its purpose. And then everyone was talking about well, what's going to happen next, and then it sort of faded from view. And Bored Apes isn't like that. I think there's there's more, but there's also a, a very avid community and and it. Like, what what made you think that this was gonna this had a longer lifespan than what other things have had? Um, I think the at the time it was this like no it's let me phrase it. Um, 
when I was the first started looking at the board apes, it wasn't um, you know the earliest kind of moments of it. There was kind of initial traction, and, and in many ways, it's not that different from looking at any other consumer startup, right? Like, why are people excited about this? Why are people buying this? Like, what makes them stick around? Um, and, and the financial aspect is certainly a part of it. Uh, but I think for board apes, even then, but certainly now, there was this tipping point of, of attention and, and interest. Um, like right now, when you look at so many NFT projects, it, it kind of centers around two things. It's either the collectible mindset, right? The, the NBA top shot, for example, for sports card collectors, where, uh, you're more about the action of collecting more than anything, or is the speculation mindset and, and kind of the new volatile asset class, the 24-7 casino, if you will. And and and, and board apes are kind of this, this category that emerged out of the collectible and emerged out of the speculation into something that's, that's bigger than that. It's a recognizable IP that a lot of people are trying to do things with. Um, I think there's this other NFT project called um, Jenkins de Valet, and they're um, kind of using board apes as a starting point to create a brand new decentralized media company where if you're a holder of their NFT, you can license your ape for use in a book and then future media projects and uh, receive a portion of the licensing um, stream there. And so I think people just building around the ecosystem and the community rallying around to do things together is kind of what is that tipping point that, that gives it longevity, uh, because there is, uh, community power and vested interest and, and, um, kind of a lot of big names, both from, uh, kind of, you know, celebrity world, but also from the builder world that are really excited about where they can take the, the, the whole project and the kind of open IP rights, which is not true for every single NFT project really allow that to happen. Like you own the IP rights to your ape and you can do with uh, with it as you please. Are you seeing people do interesting things IP-wise with their apes? Um, so, so the project I mentioned, I am licensing my my apes for the uh, appearance in the book. Uh, and I'm very excited to see kind of where that goes. Um, but I've also seen a lot of people kind of take their individual apes and, and build whole things around them, right? Uh, being a musical artist who's a... Uh, kind of personize the ape or um, using the apes as logos, using the apes for branding of like physical spaces, um, using the apes for like custom merch. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of interesting things that people do right now, less from, um, you know, alternative income streams and more now from still like the signaling aspect of I'm part of the tribe. Uh, but I think that's going to keep expanding over time. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So I think Bored Apes is is the most one of the most prevalent examples we have of you know crypto in the sort of cultural spheres that we're in right now. What are the other? Just as you've been doing this for you know over a year now, what are the other consumer applications that you're interested in specifically with crypto? For sure, I think there is just so much, uh, and we're just scratching the the, the surface here. Um, I think music monetization is a huge one. Uh, I think if you look at the kind of general internet revolution, what types of creators got screwed the most? It's the musicians. Uh, and, and, uh, I think NFTs and, and kind of crypto can enable a lot of interesting ways around music monetization, uh, both in kind of growing the total pie of music revenues, but also how much the artists actually keep of that versus the middleman. Um, I think there's a lot of benefit in, 
um, thinking through like tokenized loyalty and, and kind of brand building in general with the use of some of these technologies. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier, right, like a brand that is rewarding its community is going to be stronger than the brand that doesn't. And there are so many different ways um, that you can do that with uh, with some of the kind of the crypto technologies. Uh, and obviously, there are going to be regulatory challenges right now. Um, but like imagine an early stage brand that has a token that is backed by a portion of that company's shares, right? And if you're a token holder, you can vote on certain decisions by the brand as chosen by the management team. It's not a free-for-all. Um, the token can appreciate in value as the shares are appreciating. Um, and that can be, you know, either bought or earned for consumers um, for doing anything, right? Purchasing, UGC, referrals, um, even like a project-based work by the consumers for the brand. And you can see this alignment of incentives, alignment in trying to drive the company to success uh, and, and giving consumers not just uh, this reward for being a, 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 nice, uh, a nice contributor, but actually a shareholder mentality. You are now an owner and, and, and kind of that comes with, with certain responsibilities and that comes with certain rights. And I'm really excited that where we started with community brand building can be taken to the next level with with crypto. Do you see that becoming like widespread or do you see that only working for a certain set of types of companies where there's a certain type of buy-in with with the target audience? I think it depends on your time frame, right? Because right now it is going to be much easier for earlier stage brands and brands just starting from scratch versus established companies um, due to a number of things, right? It's uh, cultural incentive structures. And then if you have an existing user base, like you might get user backlash. Like there are plenty of great companies that tried to do things and, and received um, backlash from their users uh, because they're anti-crypto and anti-NFTs. And so you have to be mindful of your your existing um, consumer base and fan base. And, and if you're going to do something that has to be authentic to them and authentic to your brand and authentic to crypto. Um, and like that's just a hard challenge uh, on top of kind of um, capabilities and infrastructure and, and, you know, not a lot of people know how to execute some of these things. But I think over time, you're going to see this natural push where it's almost consumers will demand more and then brands will be looking for other things to have more of a com- competitive edge. And the reality is that giving your consumers a piece of the upside uh, is the best way to do it right now. Do you think sort of the inroads you're seeing with big brands like selling NFTs or things like that? Is that just, are those examples of what you're talking about or are those just sort of using the correct, using the terminology du jour to have a, a smart marketing campaign? Yeah, it feels, to be honest, it, a lot of it feels more PR stunts than, than anything. But um, there's a very fine line between a PR stunt and an actual experimentation that can lead to um to kind of future projects and future approaches. And then the reality is people need to learn and the best way to learn is by doing. And so as, as much as uh, I don't like some of the drops uh, that don't seem to, to have a lot of thoughtfulness or um, true kind of benefit-driven, utility-driven approach to them, I, I do like that uh, the fact that people are experimenting and trying to figure out what's, what's their role in this ecosystem. So what's an example of a a drop or something like that that you've seen a brand do that actually does that that works with the community in the way that you think is uh, is bringing it forward? 
It's still super early. I think there are kind of bits and pieces. Uh, I think I, I, I really like what the hundreds have done with their drop, but that was more around the brand storytelling. And they're only now like layering, uh, in, uh, benefits to the NFT holders and benefits to their user base. Um, I think it just, we are so early, uh, in thinking through that, uh, tokenized loyalty model that, and, and part of the challenge there is actually a regulatory regime, right? It's, there is uncertain treatment of cryptocurrencies and tokens, whether it's an asset or a security or a currency and, and what's the tax implications. And I think that just prevents a lot of deeper experimentation right now, not to mention so, accounting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so what is, what, what, what has the hundreds done, uh, just so that people know? Absolutely. So the, the hundreds drop was, uh, 25,000, um, Adam bombed a squad, uh, NFTs, which the, the, the brand used the NFTs as a storytelling canvas of the, the entire history of the brand, uh, and, and kind of all the different designs, um, over the years. And so the, in many ways, the, the project was a homage to the entire brand creative history. Uh, and, and that is a very authentic way to do it. And, and, and I love that as a starting approach, but what they've done doing now is taking that for next step and thinking through how do you reward, reward the, the, the NFT holders and doing exclusive events and exclusive drops and, um, allowing people to, to earn some portion of royalty if their bomb is being featured on a piece of apparel, et cetera. Um, so I think there is, uh, they are, an example of a brand that um, has started with um, baby steps or you know, much bigger steps than pretty much any other brand, but now trying to layer on additional utility and additional thinking around what does building a streetwear brand in the Web3 world actually look like. Got it. And so what if, like, in terms of you as an investor, where have you been looking specifically? Do you have sort of a rubric of, I want to do something in the music royalty space, I want to do something in the brand community space. Sort of how are you approaching this, given it's so early on? Um, trying to uh, keep an open mind is the, is the biggest thing. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I always start with, with why and, and how people spend um, their time, money, and attention. And so I try to um, not box myself into, you know, here are the three categories I spend my my time in because uh, the most exciting thing about Web3 right now is the fact that people are experimenting and, and trying novel use cases and all of the most exciting uh, developments are not going to be uh, taking something in Web2 and transferring it to a Web3 product, but it's going to be a completely original innovation. And so I think it's important to stay open to that. I think if I had to characterize uh, where the specific categories where I'm particularly excited. Um, I think this kind of tokenized loyalty and thinking through the infrastructural layer of what that will require uh, uh, for builders who want to use that but don't necessarily have the technical skills themselves. It's, you know, crypto um, is, is a hot category and, and everyone is trying to find their, their engineers and smart, smart contract developers and whatnot. Um, and so having an easier kind of the Shopify's equivalent of, uh, in crypto will be important. Um, I think a lot of brands that are trying to go from ground up on what this looks like will be, is really interesting. Music is obviously a category because I just believe there is so much, um, potential because of how underserved it is right now. Uh, and then 
I think the, the one aspect that we haven't talked about that I think is very fascinating is NFTs as digital resumes of your skills and expertise and kind of ability to earn NFTs for various things, both as you're learning things or completing projects, but also uh, for kind of beneficial behaviors um, like exercising or, or mentoring someone and then having um, that kind of reward uh, is an interesting general concept. And I'm looking for teams that are kind of thinking through that at a deep level and, and, and experimenting there. So have you made any recent investments in, in any of these places? Um, so actually my most two, re- the two most recent investments I've made have both been on the kind of next iteration of NFT gaming, which we haven't talked about gaming um, that much, but I think it's one of those categories where we've seen the most early traction on, on kind of consumer applications beyond just collecting. Uh, and I'm excited by what some of the teams are, are thinking through and, and trying to build for the long term as opposed to just kind of catching the, the wave right now. So, so made a couple there. So are they doing it in gaming? Is it that you're using, you know, a, a purchased avatar in a game? Sort of what are the applications in the gaming eco- ecosystem? Yeah, so um, the so far the, the, the most uh, known applications have been actually purchase of characters that have um, different levels of skills and ability to win and then putting your kind of either strategic or, or, or um, luck hat on uh, in order to win in the competition. So a good example of uh, Web3 Gaming is uh, Zedran was kind of an early project uh, where you would buy a horse as an NFT and then would race that horse against other horses and win money. Not different than any other um, horse racing, except it's not an actual horse, it's an NFT of a horse, right? So as you're buying that asset, your um, horse can be winning money in a competition or you can use it to breed other horses or you can just uh, wait for the appreciation and sell that for profit to someone else. Um, and so it's not just an avatar that doesn't impact your gameplay. It's a very core part of uh, core part of your experience. And now people are taking that and thinking through, okay, that was a relatively simple by game dynamic um, game. How do you take it to th- experiences that are a little bit more complex um, and a little bit more um, kind of engagement driven for the long term? Got it. So we're getting close to time, but I have a few more questions I wanted to ask you. Um, one is like, uh, like, do you think, what do you think is in store for the next year to come in terms of, you know, brands actually working with crypto or with what you're looking? Do you think that it's still too early and most of it will be surface level and much of it, a lot of it will be on the infrastructure level? Or do you actually think that there will be more brand integration, uh, you know, with these types of services, with these types of technologies? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing that I'm looking forward to, and I think we are on the edge of, is more of the bridging between the physical and the digital. Uh, and I think with um, NFT-based tickets are clearly an, an obvious example, uh, but there's so much more than, than that. So, for example, using NFTs that unlock physical experiences or using NFTs that are subscriptions of, of physical products um, just, you know, theoretical example, imagine that purchasing an NFT grants you a lifetime subscription of your favorite product, right? Once, as long as you're the holder of the NFT, you receive that product every month and 
if you're sick of it, you can sell your subscription to someone else. Um, that's like a very simple example, but there are like layers to it that you can start building through uh, NFT as a membership pass um, that is actually sellable, right? Like if I have a year long subscription to a magazine and or, you know, a streaming service and I decide that um, I don't want, I don't want to use it this month for whatever reason. Ability to sell that to someone to use for a month and then give it back to me uh, is actually better for the user and for the company as opposed to just me, like you know, freely sharing my uh, my signing uh, password and whatnot. That yeah, that's very true. Um, and I, I, my last question is, and I've been asking everyone this specifically when we're talking about Web three crypto and all that is like. Do you think, do you, are you worried or do you think that there is going to be the, what they call the trough of disillusionment, like somewhere where there's been a lot of hype, it's been sort of a hockey stick and then things might sort of go down. Um, do you, do you think that that is on the horizon or do you think we're past that? What, what do you think is going to happen? I'm 50 50 on this question. On, on one <laughs> hand, I, on one hand, I can absolutely see that, uh, that, that trough, uh, because it's, there's a lot of hype in the space and there's a lot of very unsustainable, um, expectation of future profit based on very little fundamentals. And, and so, uh, you could see uh, that as a sign of a bubble that's going to pop at the same time. And I'm, I'm kind of mentally preparing what does the world look like if that happens. At the same time, you can also see just the amount of energy, capital and talent flocking to the space. So even though it feels overheated in the grand scheme of things, it's still very early days. And especially as um, we have more projects that come with increased and novel utilities. Um, I think we're going to see like so much more in this space and so much more excitement, so much more capital and so many more people onboarding to it that this might not actually seem as a peak after all. But, but expectations are certainly high and, and the reality of building is it always takes longer than you think it will. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there is some correction at some point, but, but I can go either way on this uh, from the purely intellectual standpoint. Wow, a very a very balanced answer. Um, Max, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me. This was really fascinating. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.